I didn't want to be selfish and I'm, I'm trying to put her first. That was my thinking. But I did have like a coming to myself moment where I was like, if I do this, if I give up who I am and the life that I've already started creating in Italy and being an entrepreneur and being a writer and basing my life off of creativity and identity and femininity and just this this real subtle but powerful power of womanhood. If I give that up for the sake of quote unquote stability with a nine to five and quote unquote benefits, number one, I'm going to be a shell of a person. I'm going to be a shell of a mother. Hey everyone, welcome back to Flourish in the Foreign, the award-winning podcast that elevates, celebrates, and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving abroad. I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman from Atlanta, currently based in Spain. I am not only a podcaster, but I am a business strategist and a good one at that. I help Black women and women of color leverage their talents and their skills and their expertise into viable and sustainable businesses, businesses that make them professionally fulfilled and financially abundant while pursuing thriving lives abroad. And to that end, as most of you have been listening to the podcast for a while, know that I have a Build a Business Abroad guide. However, the guide has been revamped and is now a paid guide. So if you're at the beginning of your entrepreneurial journey and you don't know where to start, then you need some guidance, you need to kind of get some clarity, you can definitely purchase the guide. And the link to that is in the description of this episode. Another bit of news is that the Moving Abroad with Intention Guide, which I've gotten such great feedback from it, and I thank you guys so much, has also been revamped. And you can also purchase that guide via the link in the description of this episode. This award-winning podcast is a labor of love, but labor. Nonetheless, so I ask all of you to please support this here podcast if you like it, if you love it. You can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and you have written a review for this podcast on any of the platforms that you may be listening on. So be it Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever, please rate the podcast five stars and leave me a review. And of course, please do continue sharing the podcast with your friends, your family, your associates, the colleagues that you like. Whomever, please share this podcast with them because that is how this podcast grows. So I just want to address that the website flourishnoforeign.com has been kind of down and quite janky for like over a month right now. And I just want to thank you guys so much for your patience in rocking with the podcast as we go through this web design and letting me know when things don't work. I really appreciate it. And again, I apologize for any inconvenience. It should be, it should be back up right now. But if it isn't, you feel free to let me know because I want to make sure that 
Not only are you guys getting the resources that I have for y'all, but you're just having the experience that I want you guys to have. So anyway, thank you so much for your patience. All right, on to the next episode. Today's guest is Victoria Lynn Childress, and Victoria expatriated from the U.S. in 2014 and now lives in a small Italian countryside village. She runs a boutique communications company, and nearly 10 years prior to her moving to Italy, she was an exchange student in the exact town where she now resides. She currently spends her time writing and raising her daughter while also helping teenagers obtain their first passport and travel abroad. During our conversation, we talked about what Victoria's experience has been like being a digital nomad, moving to Italy, being pregnant abroad, motherhood abroad, building her business and expanding her business abroad, and of course, dating abroad. And in our conversation about dating, Victoria really kind of leaned into how the experience of dating men from different cultures really exposed the places in which she needed to heal and she needed to grow. But I will let Victoria tell you all about it. I'm Victoria Lynn Childress, and I'm 34 years old, and I'm living in a small town called Orvieto, Italy, a little north of, uh, of Rome. I am from Memphis, Tennessee, what I consider deep south of the United States. And actually, I've been doing some reading on some post-Civil War literature about the United States. And something that kind of struck me, which I've read time and time again, is this idea about certain populations, especially particularly the Black populations, who were impoverished. And I always read about poverty, poverty, and and poor communities. And it's always like them, 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 but who are they? When I really took a look at my childhood, I was part of a community that was deeply steeped in poverty and crime and not the things that I would later grow up and want my family and especially my children to be part of. I lived in a food desert and I lived in an area that just didn't have a lot of access to a lot of things that I think are conducive to children learning, especially what the world has to offer. Very much the hood, very much the ghetto, really. But within my family, and I think we hear this story echoed a lot in the African-American community, within my family, we didn't know that we were impoverished. We didn't know that we were uh, poor, so to speak, because maybe we had the latest Jordans, or maybe we had a, a certain type of television. But in a lot of other ways that I think really contribute to the growth and well-being of, you know, children into adults, nourishing food, healthy food, access to quality education, access to books and libraries and things like that. Those things we didn't have. But 
in my household, my dad, he was a collector of, of secondhand items. He would have a little booth at the weekend flea market in Memphis. He's a architect and a general contractor and he builds things and makes things and draws things. So he does all of that in one life. And in this other life, he would have these storage warehouses full of sort of like artifacts and but the things that he would resell that other people would find of value. And one of those things was a massive collection of National Geographic magazines. Some of them he had in storage, but some of them he had in our house. And I didn't understand the the significance of it or the importance of it. But the reason why the National Geographic's kind of uh, stuck out to me was like the bright yellow cover. And then it always had some sort of global foreign destination or even some cover story about animals or people groups. And I would see a lot of indigenous people or ethnic people groups on the covers. And I just like to flip through them. And it, it did spark my curiosity. But I think in my conscious mind, that's as far as it went. I didn't, I can't say I ever aspired to go to those places or to meet those people or to even investigate further who they were or what those things meant in the world. It was just fascinating to me. But in hindsight, I can say that that was probably a seed planted because when I would come across things like that later in life, it would you know, immediately take me back to my childhood. And it was definitely something that sparked my interest and my attention later in life. I asked Victoria if she had the opportunity to attend university and study abroad. Yeah, so my school situation was a little bit interesting because I've always been a creative type. I love learning, but I didn't like the type of learning that existed in school and institutions in the classroom, so to speak. I like to be outside or in front of a person or hands-on, that sort of thing. And so I did everything that I could to try to get through school really quickly. And I did that. I, I finished high school early and that uh, led me to start community college early. And it was at my community college in Texas that I found a study abroad program. I was just walking in the corridors, going to a class, and I saw a big poster that said, study abroad in Rome, go to this office for more information. And something was like, I want to go. Travel wasn't something on my radar. And so I looked for the office to get information. And it turned out that I was too late to really register. The, the classes for it had already started. So they started the language portion and some of the history portions of the program before you actually go on the study abroad trip. And so I missed that, but I, I wrote a letter. I just, I did everything I could to try to go. And it was $6,000. I had about three months to raise that amount of money. And the director said, well, if you can do it, we'll support you. And so I came in on the classes really late, having to catch up. And I did everything I could. I was babysitting. I was baking cookies and, and things like that. I was washing cars. I was doing everything I could to raise money. And I came up short, but my local church met me halfway and gave me the other half. So I raised $3,000 and they granted me $3,000 via a scholarship. 
and I was able to go. And so I spent four months in Italy. That was my first international trip. And everything about that experience changed the trajectory of my life, but also my goals at the time. But after my study abroad trip, I really discovered that it was just going to take too much time being four years at a college somewhere in a classroom in four walls. It just didn't work for me. And one of the the things that inspired me to kind of ditch the university plan was that when I studied abroad, we were completely outside. We cleaned out this old monastery in Italy to have a couple of in-class sessions, but myself, along with my other uh, classmates, we kind of protested and we were like, yeah, we could, we can do this sitting outside. We can go here, we can go there. And we did a lot of hands-on during that program. And at the time I was studying ancient literature and architecture. And so Italy was the perfect place for that, but it was the perfect place to not just stick to text and, and be in a classroom learning about what people did but to really be in the Colosseum, in the cathedrals, in the Duomos, in the catacombs, in all of these ancient buildings and ruins and and touching it and seeing it and witnessing a lot of it. And so all of that inspired me to, when I returned home, my, my central thought was, how can I do more of that? How can I travel more? How can I be more part of that type of magic? I was 18 years old, studying abroad. Nobody in my family had done anything like that. And I just remember being overwhelmed, but in a good way, with the language and the food and the smells and the sights and the people and the fact that I felt kind of recognized. People would just say, good morning, good morning, buongiorno, buongiorno. And they, it just, it didn't, it didn't feel tense <laughs> like I had felt and grew up in the South and in the United States. But I couldn't put a name to that at the time. I just knew the feeling. I knew that I liked it and I wanted to chase that. After she has this amazing experience studying abroad, I asked Victoria, what did she do next? So after I returned home uh, from my study abroad trip, I I kind of just I continued on the path, but just to just to kind of keep things going and also not to worry my parents. I didn't want to make like this drastic change in decision on the spot, but I definitely had a plan in mind, and I was I was researching and doing what I knew to do to to just sort of move in the direction of my dreams. I remember making vision boards and things like that of Tuscan hills and vineyards and villas and the type of car I wanted to have and books stacked because I would want to publish one one day. And so I remember making vision boards and things like that and putting it on my wall. But I also remember just going back to school. I went back to college. I also started my first corporate job. I got fired from that job. And I briefly worked at American Airlines because I just, again, I'm trying to get myself in the place where I knew I wanted to be. I didn't know how to do that, but I'm like, let me get close to writing. Let me get close to travel. So my way of doing that in terms of getting close to travel was trying to work for an airline, okay? That that can take me places. But the reality of that was I was working more than I was allowed to really travel, but it was still a a learning opportunity. And I just did that for a couple of months. I got fired from that job as well. And I said, you know what? 
I just got to do it. I just got to start. One of the things that pushed me to just start, to start a business, was that I wanted to be out on my own. I got an apartment. I had no job, but I got an apartment and I had one lady who said, if you write for me, like do my publicity and do my public relations and stuff, she was a business owner as well, I'll give you $200 a week and and we'll go from there. I said, okay, great. That $200 a week was my rent. My rent was $800 a month. So I didn't think about, oh, I have to pay for lights. I have to pay for water. I need food. I didn't care about any of that. I just did a deep dive and I got the apartment. She paid me. I got business cards done and I put on my business cards, Victoria Childress writer. It wasn't, I'm going to try to be a writer. I need to go to school to be a writer. I'm a writer. And so through that lady, she had other entrepreneur friends and, and just being around them really taught me a lot about entrepreneurship. They were out there grinding. It was everyday people, but they were doing it for themselves, much like I saw my father do every day. And through her, I met her entrepreneur colleagues and friends, and they would do the same thing. They said, hey, if you can do this for me, I'll give you $200 a week. I'll give you $300 a week. I would say maybe within six months of moving into that apartment and having absolutely nothing, I had about five or six people who were each paying me $200 a week. And so, and then I started getting bigger projects, bigger projects, bigger projects. What later happened and what really started to put me on the map was I started to make a name for myself. I expanded to having a large contracts with the city of Dallas, with the Visitors and Convention Bureau, with some school systems, with some independent school systems, as well as other companies, large companies. So I found one half of my dream, which was working for myself, but the other half of my dream was lagging, which was traveling. And so I did a little bit of traveling, but not as much as I wanted to do. I was sleeping at my office because I was working so much, like straight 16 to 18 hour days. So what I started to do was make goals like, okay, I'm going to work 11 months and I'm going to be off the 12th month. And so if that looks like traveling for two weeks here and traveling for two weeks there, fine. If it looks like work 11 months straight, fine. I want to be off for a month in a year. I don't want to work, work, work and not enjoy, you know, the fruits of my labor. And that's what I did. And then the next year I said, yeah, I think I want to be off two months this year. And that's what I did. And then the next year was, I want to be off three months until I got to the point where I was like, what I do, I don't need to be in an office. I can do this remotely. I can work remotely. I can travel and, and still maintain my relationships and everything. So let me try that out. And so I did, I moved out of my office. I sold all my stuff and I set up shop virtually what people call nowadays digital nomading. I asked Victoria, what were some of her early experiences being a digital nomad? When I started traveling as a nomad, Italy seemed to always be my base because it was kind of, was my I call it my first love. It was the first place I came to internationally. It's what sort of sparked all of this. And it's also where I felt most comfortable because after my study abroad experience, I traveled to Italy 
every year thereafter until I tried to make my first move. And as a result of that, I maintained the relationships that I had in Italy from the point um, of studying abroad until I moved here. And so what that looked like was just seeing familiar faces and them seeing me and us keeping in contact. And it wasn't like a, a, a strong Facebook type of thing or presence back then. It was really email and, and telephone calls and, and physically coming and trying to keep in touch with people that way. And so I had friends and acquaintances and what I would also call mentors here, young and old, who would kind of give give me tidbits of advice um, about moving or even just kind of throw it out there. You should move to Italy. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't know about that. I'm just, I'm just traveling right now. And they're like, yeah, no, you should, you should be here. You should be here and, and you should bring your mom. And, and that seems like such a foreign concept to me, <clears throat> even though I was traveling, I just, I didn't at the time see myself permanently living outside of the States. However, the <clears throat> The more I stayed outside of the States, the more I got used to not being in the States, the more I got used to people and culture that was not American. And so even though I would travel to a lot of other places, I always felt like I was coming home when I came back to Italy. I felt like I could just breathe a you know deep sigh of relief and just chill out and not think about the fact that I'm in a foreign place because it didn't feel so foreign to me. I didn't spend extensive time here. Really, I was coming and visiting even for a month or two at a time, I was still here as a tourist, but it still felt like home. And so when I would go back to the States, I just felt like, what am I doing here? I just, I didn't feel inspired to go anywhere. It wasn't appealing to me to just spend like half the day at the mall or walk downtown or something like it just it kind of seemed very dull and I think because I spent so much time abroad that even though I had relationships and stuff like that in the United States friendships family relationships things like that because I was gone so much I I didn't feel like I was really leaving anybody behind when I made the decision to try to move abroad. And so it, it, it wasn't very hard. It was just the fact that I was doing it and doing it alone and that sort of thing. And so I thought, well, if I'm going to move somewhere, it has to be Italy, even though I've been to these other places and they're very beautiful. It doesn't feel like home for me. I started to do as much research as I could. I came to Italy with no visa. I just came with my tourist visa, which is, you know, just my passport. And I didn't understand that you have to get your visa outside of the country. So you have to get it in the United States first. But what I did do was talk to certain people who put me in touch with other people to let me know, okay, well, you're going to need a lease contract and you're going to need this and you're going to need that. You're probably going to have to come as a student, just all of these different stipulations. And like the first time I came, I literally, I gave my furniture away to this, this nurse student. (laughs) I just said, here, you, you can have it. And I 
gave a lot of my clothes away and I came with like two big bags and that's all I had. And so I had to leave the third month. I had to leave Italy, but I still had an apartment. I had a lease. I would leave and go away. I would go back to the States or go to another area outside of the Shenzhen area of Europe. And I... I just kind of kept trying to work it until finally I had a friend who said, okay, we can get you enrolled in a university and we can get you a real student visa and we can do it that way. And I said, okay, that's great. I did that. And it was just, I did it and I went through with it, but it was so tough. It was tougher than I thought it would be because I had now immigrated. So I'm, I'm, in the country and I'm here, I'm home. That was the goal. But being here, when you move abroad, you're no longer a tourist. And so that honeymoon phase kind of wore away and it was real life having to deal with bureaucracy and deal with utility companies and tax this and healthcare that. And, but as difficult as all of that was, I wouldn't trade it. I, I, I felt that while yes, it's a, it's an extreme hassle to, to get all of this done. And I think primarily because I'm an immigrant, we like to use the word expat, but it really made me sympathize being from Texas, Mexican American residents um, and citizens in Texas. But being in Texas, when you live there, you hear a lot about Mexican-American relations. And I just never, I never even gave thought to the type of struggle or a hassle that they have to go through with going to different consulates and embassies and courts and having documents translated and just being an immigrant in a foreign country. And so that's what I was experiencing but it was still light years and by far easier, I think, than what I would go through or experience or even have access to in the United States. As an entrepreneur and a business owner in the United States, it was obviously very expensive to have health care and things like that. And those were things that was almost a given in Italy, very easy to obtain, to buy into. And I didn't understand, like I said earlier, I, I don't always have a name for it when I experience it, but I didn't understand the ease of living here in Italy really came down to the absence of capitalism. At the time, if I was late on my rent for a month, there wasn't an eviction notice. Yeah, they would reach out and say, hey, what? When are you going to pay up or whatever? But it what they weren't trying to punish you for being late. They weren't trying to tax you for being late on your rent. Same with utilities, same with healthcare, same with a lot of things. I just felt the ease of living and not living to work, but working to live. I very much adopted the Italian and, and mostly European way of life where yes you work to to make a living but it's it's not all consuming it's not grind culture in fact they sort of denounce that here i remember talking a lot to my friends here about my business and how much i was working and it wasn't praised they was like oh wow mm, kind of like poor you <laughs> and i'm like i don't i don't think i have to do that and slowly but surely i started to renounce that 
that type of lifestyle as well. It's like, I don't want to run myself into the ground and work 16 hours a day. You know, I, I don't want to do that. And so it, it very much uh, came down to a, a change of mindset and, and belief systems for me when I came to Italy. So it's, it's like sort of this 360 transformation that I've gone through from like I said, renouncing capitalism and not buying into that grind culture, enjoying life, enjoying quality food, um, enjoying great relationships, enjoying the geographical landscape of Italy, taking pride in the land here and the vineyards and the the things that it produces and really looking at and gleaning for myself the pride that they have in their own culture sort of led me to have even more pride in my culture as a Black woman. But understanding that I don't have to be in the United States to to really love and build upon my culture as a Black woman. And that I think the United States and American culture in general is kind of counterproductive to being a Black woman and being confident in the culture, in who we are as women, in rest, in being seen and, and things like that. It wasn't easy starting out, but I think once you get past that that hump and that shock of being an immigrant and really becoming accustomed to a different culture and a different uh, country, that there's, there's so much to gain from a lifestyle abroad. So... Victoria is living this beautiful life abroad, and then she finds herself pregnant. And during her pregnancy, she finds herself having to make some hard decisions about where she will live, not only during her pregnancy, but once the baby arrives. And so I asked her to walk me through how she decided to remain in Italy. I would say relocated to Italy in 2014. And I gave birth to my daughter in 2016. And so I was living and growing and working here and just getting my life together in Italy and sort of rebuilding my business and everything. And it was during a a holiday visit in the States that I met the father of my daughter and I discovered in early 2016 that I was pregnant. And so I had some really big decisions to make. And I knew for certain I had these very specific reasons why I didn't want to live in the United States. And I also had a vision for my family that didn't include the United States. And so I'm in Italy alone and I had to make some big decisions about if I would go back because that's where my mother is, that's where my support would be, that's where her father is, or if I would stay in Italy. And I would say for a hot second, I was really close to going back because I was just scared. As a new mother, it was an unexpected uh, pregnancy. And so as a new mother, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I especially don't know what I'm doing as an entrepreneur. Do I need to just go get a regular job and just do the nine to five so I can take care of my kid? And I really had to do a lot of soul searching because Of course, I want to provide for my kid. I want the best for my kid. I don't want to be selfish. I don't want to just think about me. I want to think about the whole family. And I want to think about how all of that will impact her. And 
I teetered. I was on a seesaw. I was going back and forth, like, what do I do? And I remembered my childhood growing up and I knew absolutely without a doubt what I would not allow her to go through. And those were all sort of family logistical things and home life, the structuring of home life, the construct of family life and those sorts of things. So having a good home, a safe home, a good school, family connections, having food on the table, having healthy options, having access to health care. I, I had this vision, though, of a different type of happiness. And it wasn't just those things. It really was rooted and based in freedom of identity freedom of self in a way that I really did not think was possible for her to achieve in the United States. And so even when I was strongly considering closing the doors to my business, because I'm like entrepreneurship and a business is a baby. It is a kid. It's something that you have to nurture and nourish every day. And it's up to you. It's not up to anybody else. And so I didn't know if I would be able to do that and have a newborn. I hadn't put together a resume like in never. <laughs> so I was figuring out how to put my resume together and who to send it to so I could just get a job and get healthcare benefits and get this and get that and just kind of beyond just willingly get on the hamster wheel. Part of me was like, that is not who you are. But I didn't know what else to do. And again, I didn't want to be selfish and I didn't want to, I'm trying to put her first. That was my thinking. But I did have like a coming to myself moment where I was like, if I do this, if I give up who I am, And the life that I've already started creating in Italy and being an entrepreneur and being a writer and basing my life off of creativity and identity and femininity and just this this real subtle but powerful power of, of womanhood and, like I said, femininity, if I give that up for the sake of quote unquote stability with a nine to five and benefits, quote unquote benefits, number one, I'm going to be a shell of a person. I'm going to be a shell of a mother. I don't want that for her. I thought about my own mother and the fact that once I became much, much older, I started asking my dad and asking my mom who she was before she was a mother. And she was this fascinating person. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what? What happened? And she's like, well, y'all happened. And I get that. You do have to sacrifice a lot of yourself to become a parent, but you don't have to give up who you are. And I felt like being who I am would be such a contribution to her growing up to be whoever she is going to be. I made the very difficult decision to remain in Italy because I didn't and I don't want my kid to grow up in the type of racial society that is the United States. She's five years old today, but she very much knows about 
that society and uh, culture. I teach her about it. There is Black presence throughout our home and throughout the things that we listen to and watch and the books that we have and the things that are on my walls and, and things like that. So I, I, I knew that it would be a sacrifice to sort of separate her from what Black culture we do have in the United States, in my family, my community, and, and my culture. But I think you can take your culture with you wherever you go. And so that's what I've tried to do. But she was born here. She was born in Italy. She's very much Italian. (laughs) I mean, both of her parents are American, but she's very much Italian. She speaks three languages. She goes to an Italian school. And all that she knows is Italy. And she understands that she's a little Black girl. She understands why her hair is different. But she also understands a type of humanity that I didn't understand and that I didn't have access to and that I didn't see when I was a little girl growing up in Memphis, Tennessee. She revels in being seen and being called beautiful, very common. If you're a woman, girl, it's Chow Bella. It's Chow Bella, 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 Bella. And so she's heard this since she was born and she hears it today and that people look at you and acknowledge you and and comment on your beauty and your skin and your hair, not threatened by it. They actually celebrate it. And she's gone to the United States. She didn't really know how to say it, but she's kind of looked up at me like, how come nobody's talking to me? You know, like if we're standing in the line at the airport or at a restaurant, nobody looks at you, nobody acknowledges you, or not in a conceited way, but just in a human way. And so it's really through her that I have vicariously started to sort of undo and unravel a lot of the complex constructs in my own mind about being seen and being wanted and sought after and loved and, and almost requiring that I grew up like, I hope they see me. And she's like, no, they need to see me or we need to go. She's a character in and of herself. And she, very independent, very, very intelligent little girl, but she definitely has taught me a lot. I'm her mother and I'm teaching her a lot, but because I think she's here and she's born in an environment like this, she's teaching me a lot, really a lot that I need to unlearn. And that's led to so many wonderful things. Hey, I hope that you are enjoying this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. If building a business, if having your own business has been part of your vision of a life well lived for quite some time and you haven't been able to really make it happen or perhaps you aren't as profitable as you'd like or perhaps you're not sustainable like you would need to be to live abroad then I invite you to join my Build a Business Abroad group coaching program. You can learn more about me as a business strategist and more about the program at my professional website, christinejobe.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-E-J-O-B.com. And of course, there'll be links to all of this information in the description of this episode. All right, back to the show. I asked Victoria to describe to me the Italian healthcare system and 
how it works and her experiences with it, and ultimately why she decided to bet on the Italian healthcare system instead of the American healthcare system. I mentioned earlier that I have very specific reasons for not wanting to live in the United States. Of course, some of those things are prejudice, racism, the the capitalistic kind of grind culture, things like that. But when I was making the decision, I was in the United States during the summer of my pregnancy for a few months and I was with my mom and I was lo- I was looking at apartments. I was like trying to figure out, okay, could I kind of come back and restart my life again and if I do that, then will I go back to Italy later? Like, how would that look? And so I started looking at practical things. So housing, of course, schools, of course. And then I started looking at healthcare and daycare, childcare. And I, I had a good uh, friend of mine. We were pregnant, a, a lady who lived here in my hometown, an Italian lady. We were pregnant at the same time. And so we would go on walks together and do our yoga class together and go to our prenatal classes together. And she would keep in touch with me while I was in the United States. And I would also reach out to her to ask her like little questions about just different things about healthcare, healthcare and uh, childcare. And uh, I remember understanding that, okay, I can get healthcare for my kid either through the system, which seemed like pure crap because I even, I even tried, like I tried to just do like a doctor's visit under this quote unquote system. And I'm like in a line and I had to fill out tons and tons of paperwork and it was really degrading. It's like, you, you have to make less than a certain amount, but you can't make more than a certain amount just to get some help. And so it's like, okay, so I could get her healthcare under this welfare system, but I wouldn't necessarily qualify. And then I could also get her healthcare like under the work or benefits or whatever of her father, but I wouldn't be privy to that. It was very disjointed and it wasn't holistic in that it took into consideration the whole family and and the needs of the whole family, like the European system, national healthcare, universal healthcare, like that, that type of construct. And so one of the things that I learned early on when I first gave birth was how pivotal and how central and how important the healthcare of the mother is the child too but the healthcare and the mental healthcare of the mother is so important but so extremely neglected globally but especially in the United States where you have to be able to afford those types of things and if you can't afford it it's such like I said, a degrading hassle to go through to get the help that you need, to get the healthcare that you need. And so that was definitely one of those specific factors that led me to stay in Italy. But then the second one was childcare. I came to understand that childcare in the United States was basically the salary of one of the parents almost. So I'm touring some of the facilities of different daycares and stuff because I'm like, okay, if I'm going to have her, 
and I'm going to work, she's going to have to go to, to daycare. Okay, so let's go tour some facilities and see what this is about. So I toured different types of facilities and different neighborhoods, and it all ranged anywhere from $500 a month to $1,200 a month. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, so you have, you have to work in order to send them to, to daycare. And so I'm like putting like p- puzzle pieces together. And, and so I said, well, then why don't she just stay home? Well, you can't do that if you're a single parent. But so then I said, well, why aren't my married friends doing that? I was on this mission to understand. And so I was like interviewing my friends. Like, I want to ask you some questions. Okay. You and the hubby, y'all both work great jobs. Both of y'all have cars, beautiful house, and you got the kids. How much are you paying for daycare? And it was an astronomical amount. And I'm like, okay, so why are you paying that much when the kid could just stay home with you and you're saving money? or maybe work part-time or something like that and get your parents involved or just some sort of workaround. And the answer almost across the board was that they both had to work because they were in student debt and, and they were having to repay loans. And so I'm like, oh my gosh. And I never did that because I paid for community college out of pocket or with grants. I never got loans. I never had that problem. So it It's not even something that crossed my mind. And so I'm understanding even more why I didn't want to live in the United States because it just seemed like a money trap. So you go to school, you get the loans to go to school, you have the job to pay the loans, but now you have a kid who you have to send to a daycare that you also have to pay, which is the majority of your salary. It was just crazy to me. I reached out to my friend here and and I said, okay, so when the babies are born, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay home for a bit? She said, yeah, maybe the first six months or so, maybe the first year. I said, okay. I said, so what exactly are the childcare options like there? And she said, oh, well, the babies can start school as early as one year or so, school as in daycare, and they can go to the public daycare from morning to noon, completely free, or you can go to the private one when it's about 190 euros a month. And I was like, for what? (laughs) And she's like, for for full-time daycare, like 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. with food, quality childcare. And she said, yeah, and they will probably give you a discount because you're a single parent. So you may not even have to pay 190. She was like, when you get back, we can go on a tour. And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. So I got back, gave birth to my kid. I wasn't even thinking about daycares or whatever. But when she turned about one, one and a half, we did the tours together, me and my friend and her little boy and my little girl. And I mean, it's this beautiful facility and like an old church monastery and it's run by nuns, but they have the actual school teachers and it's literally $200 a month and it's eight to four and it's fantastic program and it's completely Italian. They don't speak English, but I do. I, we do our own lessons and stuff at home, but she gets that culture. She gets that language. She's fluent. It's almost like her second mother tongue. And because I work here and I pay into the tax system, we have automatic access to healthcare. It's not linked to a job. It's just that you pay into the tax system. And even if you didn't, you would still you could still qualify for healthcare. And I, I don't think about if she's sick, 
She's going to the hospital or she's going to her doctor. If I'm sick, I'm going too. It's not just her, it's me too. And her childcare is taken care of. And that frees up so much money and funds for me to be able to afford a nanny slash babysitter situation or to enroll her in extracurricular activities. All of that stemmed from even when I was pregnant, I was so nervous. Like I was like, okay, what do I do? And they said, okay, well, you've got your health card and you've got your residency and everything. So just go and pick out your doctor and you'll be good to go. You start going to your appointments. And I was like, okay, do I have to pay anything? And they were like, no. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so I'm just nervous because I'm just thinking a bill is going to like come out of left field and punch me in the face. And so I'm going to my appointments and because I'm electing healthcare. If you're a resident here and you're working here, you're given. But if you're a temporary resident or a student, you elect to have uh, healthcare. And at the time I was under a student visa, I was electing to have healthcare. And only because I was electing to have healthcare did I have to pay for a couple of labs, blood work and stuff, and then some medication that I needed while I was pregnant. All of my doctor's visits were free. All of all of my checkups, my entire pregnancy, except for the times that I visited the United States and I stayed for a couple of months at a time, I had to pay $200 out of pocket because I didn't have a uh, health insurance. One visit in the United States was the cost of my entire pregnancy in Italy. One doctor's visit. I remember having to get some iron pills and things like that during my pregnancy that my doctor prescribed. And I went to the pharmacy and I gave them the, the prescription and they said, oh, okay, okay, we'll get this for you. They got it for me. And they said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, is there anything you can do like where you don't have to pay for it? And I was like, oh my God, how much is it? And they was like, I was like, no, it's just, I just, I have to pay for it because I'm a foreigner and I, I don't have a job here or whatever. And they said, well, all right, well, I'm so sorry, but okay, it's going to be 10 euros. And I was like, take my money. Like, what, what are you doing? Take my, like, what? <laughs> like, I was so scared. And when I went into labor, when I gave birth, I mean, the hospital situation is super primitive. It's not like a hotel suite or anything, but they get the baby out and they make sure the baby's healthy and they make sure you're healthy and they make sure you have all the information that you need for mental health and for uh, breastfeeding and for all the things that you need. And they send you home and it was completely free. And I was still kind of looking over my shoulder a couple of months after she was born, like, I know they're going to send me a bill. And they never did because they don't charge you for giving birth, you know, to a human being in Italy and in a lot of places. Whereas I know that that would have been thousands of dollars in the United States. And so I always look at that time in my life as a beautiful time because a lot of the stresses that I know I would have had, especially as an entrepreneur who didn't subscribe to like a healthcare plan or whatever in the United States, I didn't have those things in Italy. And it was a beautiful pregnancy because they really sort of revere pregnant women in Italy. And so I was... Bella Donna, 
I got priority in all the lines, the post office, the grocery store line, like wherever I was at, they would give me pomegranates like to, to bless me and the baby. And I mean, it was a really beautiful time, you know, in my life and a beautiful time to give birth. And my mother came, she came the last month and a half of my pregnancy and she was here for the birth. So I wasn't here alone. And I, I cherished that experience. And I, I, I did try to involve and incorporate other family members and my daughter's father. They weren't able to come, but as much as I could, I wanted to go to the States and, and I've maintained that where I could go there and she can you know be with them. But I decided that Italy was where we needed to be because I knew that if I was going to take care of her, I needed to take care of me. And taking care of me and taking care of us in the States was going to be really, really difficult. Whereas I was already living in a place where it was really, really easy or relatively easier. I really enjoy my guests because I'm fortunate that a lot of my guests will allow me to be just nosy and to have fairly deep and intimate questions with us barely knowing each other. And so I'm always so grateful for all my guests that allow me to go there with them. I asked Victoria about how she feels her concept of womanhood and how she feels as a woman has evolved while living abroad. And she shared so much of her journey and shared so many great insights. But she also mentioned how dating abroad actually was a really big factor in that kind of evolution. My experience as a woman abroad has been sort of predicated on understanding that men and society in general, also the women, understand that you're a woman and that they're a man. They're distinct separate ideals of what a woman and who a woman is and what a man is and who he is and what you're supposed to do. And a lot of that can kind of go the other way where it goes into patriarchy and sort of these outdated mentalities where a woman's place is here and here and not there and there. So that definitely exists. But I think the most basic feeling that I've had being here is that femininity and womanhood and being soft is desirable. It's what they want and what they crave. Like there are clear roles. And I think that's just part of any sort of uh, romance language type society where they really give precedence to just who you are, like the, the most basic natural aspect of who you are. And so as a result of that, they're not chasing for Miss Independent. <laughs> they're not looking for somebody who's got her own. Of course, those things are attractive when a man can find a woman who is handling her business in her own right and those sorts of things. But I think that the extreme that we take it or that we've been sort of cornered into in the States, just the way that I've grown up, the women that I've seen, the women in my life, and the way that I sort of found myself to be as a young woman, very much involved a lot of 
masculinity, a lot of masculine roles and having to take on sort of these masculine ideals to appear desirable. But it's always been a catch-22. It's always been, well, you need to have your own, but you can't be too much of a man because you're going to scare a man off. And it's, it's all of that confusion that I gave up and that I've never had to deal with particularly here in Italy, but even in other places that I've traveled to and, and, and spent time in. And so what I've learned, I mean, even early on when I would just date, when I was just visiting here for a few months at a time and I would date or even be in conversation with friends, both male and female, that that hardness and that grind and that extreme is not praised here. It's not, you You will not get any claps for it because it's almost like you're, you're out of your lane. And at first you would, li- you would hear something like that and say, well, what do you mean? I'm, I, I can do, I can do everything. I can do anything a man can do. But I don't think at the core, that's really what they're saying, or that's really what the sentiment is here. It's that you, you have a certain strength as a woman own that, be in that you don't need to do extra. Let him do the extra, let him do a lot of those things that I was taking on or that we take on as black women. I traveled here for 10 some odd years and lived here, and I never dated an Italian until about three years ago. Now, I had a conscious plan in my mind that I didn't want to date anybody until my daughter was about five years old. And that goes into my experience with my own parents and their respective spouses. So my parents were separated and my dad had his wife. My mom was married twice. My dad has is since widowed and my mom is twice divorced. But my experience with my step-parents were not positive at all. And so I wanted to be at a really good place. And in my mind, it was like five or six years old where I would even just even have the thought about dating. And I also just didn't want to bring that responsibility into somebody else's life because the early childhood days is a doozy. But I had a friend of mine, Candace, who used to live here. She lives in Turkey now. And we all went to lunch one day and I told her, I was like, yeah, I've never dated an Italian. And she said, why? And I said, I don't know. I I think I just want to be with a black man. I don't know. And she said, well, I'm black enough for both of us. So I don't have to be with a black man. And the, the dates that I've gone on in Italy with Italian men have been really quality and been really nice. So that's just my experience. And I took that conversation and I thought about it for a couple of months. And I decided to try online dating and just to see what's out there. I got to a point where I was willing to just try, just throw myself out there and just open myself up to possibility, not being attached to any particular outcome, but just to put it out there. Now, what I did notice that not even from a dating perspective was that the men here, they've always been very gentlemanlike, very courteous. 
to me, but definitely to my friends and to my neighbors and acquaintances and the husbands that I would see and and who I was friends with. And so I, I had a positive experience in that from that aspect, but just never really dated anybody. And my first date with an Italian man, refreshing. I came out of that date refreshed because and I like I got home and immediately started like trying to analytically break it down. I was like the dinner was great. He was very gentlemanlike, just all of those desirable qualities. And but the conversation was great. And the conversation was not predicated on both of us being black. And having sort of those inherent black experiences, which is really a weight. It's heavy. And so we we I didn't have to talk about my struggles as a black woman. He was not talking about his struggles as a black man, because it was more about life and enjoying life and family. He had kids and and political views and worldviews on this and travel here and travel there. It was so refreshing. It wasn't about grinding. He did own a business, but it was very leisure, sort of lighthearted conversation. And I appreciated all of that for various reasons. I didn't think that we were a match, but I continued to date. I only went on a few more dates before I was like, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm busy. I can't. And then COVID happened. But later in the year, I started online dating again and again, not attached to any particular outcome. And I met some great people, again, very, just very quality, like kind of like what Candace said, very quality dates, Um, not really leaving the date wanting anything, just really having enjoyed myself. But Again, I just felt like, no, I don't think these people are a match. And I was just really busy and sort of felt kind of neck deep in motherhood and stuff. And it wasn't my timeline too. Uh, My kid was like still three, four years old. And so they say third time's a charm, but I tried it again last year and ended up meeting a really great guy. And one of the things that I kind of discovered about myself and my dating process was that for me to really connect particularly with an Italian, it needs to be an Italian who has traveled internationally because we're going to have more things to talk about and they'll be like a little bit more open-minded. But in all of these dates, I felt like I can just be myself. I can be a woman. I can be Victoria. I can be funny. I can be strong. I can be smart. I don't need to prove anything. I always felt like I needed to prove myself to people who I dated in the United States. I always felt like I needed to appear and check out as worthy. Yep, she does this. She does that. Oh, she got that together. She's got it together. And I don't feel like anybody was looking for me to have it together. I could tell like the man sitting across from me at the table on those dates, they were looking for the essence of me as a woman, which quite frankly, I can't say I had. I can't say that I was really even giving them that because I didn't know to do that. I didn't know that not just that that's what they were looking for, but that's that's what I had to offer. I thought they would be impressed by 
oh, she's a business owner. She's traveled here. She's done this. She done. And those are impressive things, but they were looking for, and I've, and I've talked to a, to Italian guys about this since then. They're looking for who you are, the essence of who you are as a feminine being. That's what you add to their life. They, they're already masculine. They already work. They already do all of these things that we sort of build ourselves upon. And it's nothing wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. But those things, my accomplishments, it's not my makeup. It's just, it's something that I've done. And it does speak to my strength, my business savvy, my business intelligence or whatever. Traveling speaks to my open-mindedness. But those things, it's not who I am. If I could go on a date and never mention those things, they, I think, are looking for something else. And it wasn't until I started really taking my practice in yoga and chakra healing seriously. And when I got, you know, into the seven chakras, I like bought every book and watched every video, just every resource that I could find on the subject to learn more about sort of healing myself from the inside out. And the main chakra for me that was blocked was my uh, sacral chakra. And that's the chakra that is responsible for your self-expression, your identity, your creativity, how you relate to other people, how you value your worth and how you think other people value your worth. All of that was blocked for me because I didn't really value myself as just me just the the essence of Victoria with nothing else, like strip all the other stuff away, is who I am, who I want to be. And I couldn't say yes to that at the time. And I think once I really just started delving into that, it really started allowing me to sort of stand up taller and be more confident in who I am without all of those things. Walking around in my softness, in my femininity, in my contribution to a conversation that might be comedic, that might be serious, that might be theoretical, whatever whatever those things are, I started really, really believing in that for myself. And I have to say, say that it's because I'm in Italy and because I'm not consumed with basic survival, like I think I would be in the States with with healthcare and food and being able to afford this and afford that. And so I now have the space for myself and my well-being and building up my my spirituality, my my emotional intelligence, my mentality, my all of those things. I have the space to even do that, which allows me to improve myself as a person. And I think all of those things contributed to me being able to meet a person who appreciated those things and me being able to really offer up myself as a woman and not as this person with plaques and trophies and certificates and accomplishments and and all of those things. I asked Victoria for her personal definition of wellness and how that definition and practice has evolved as she has lived abroad. Wellness to me is the freedom of ability to control or to have your say over your time, 
it's it's the one thing that I think you can't buy, you can't get more of. It's we're here in the present and we're living moment to moment. You can buy or acquire a lot of things, but but time and the ability to do with what you want with your time is I think sort of the the base and the pinnacle um, of wellness, where you have the time and the space to improve yourself. You have the time and the space to spend time with your family and your children. You have the time and the space to travel. You have the time and the space to work. You have the time and the space to rest. Time. Time is, is sort of the essence of wellness to me. But then I also think that sort of the freedom to travel is also uh, a big part of wellness because ultimately we are trying to find our way home. We're born in various places, but that may not always be our home. And so travel is this enormous privilege where you can come to discover that and in the process discover yourself and discover other people appreciate other people and beliefs and and things of that nature but i think that when you're able to travel because you have the time and you have the means to do so it's addictive and it's and it's it's liberating but it's it's like worlds inside of worlds inside of worlds of of possibility and opportunity i tell some of my friends um, who i encourage to travel more not to take a vacation but to discover themselves i tell them there could be people in other places waiting for you to get there. And you would never know that they're waiting for you unless you actually made the decision to leave. There are opportunities, business opportunities, work opportunities that could be waiting for you in other places if you made the decision to leave. And so I feel like one of the biggest benefits, I would say, for Black women is that the world is not America. The world is not the United States. And while racism exists everywhere, while prejudice exists everywhere, and while just people, wherever there are people, is, there will be imminent <laughs> stupidity. But your beauty is seen globally and it's 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 sort of celebrated and expressed in different ways depending on where you are in the world but you are not invisible in the rest of the world you're definitely seen and i think that speaks to the essence of why it's beneficial and healthy for black women to travel abroad because it's a heart issue where at the heart of the matter, everybody wants to be recognized for just being a person, for just being a woman, for just being a human being. And I think you're given that when you start to explore beyond borders. And then when you start to really delve into what these countries have to offer, then you start getting into sort of the logistical benefits, healthcare and all these other things. Those are sort of like bonuses. But at the core of it, it's being seen and recognized and not personal 
persecuted or oppressed for not just being a woman, but being a woman of color. I think all of that contributes to wellness for Black women, mental wellness, as well as physical wellness for Black women that I think is kind of like we're exploring it. But even even so, it's it's I think it's largely untapped because we're attached to home where we have ties, family ties, and we have all of the, the certain types of limitations that we have. But I feel like, like I said, there are worlds within worlds, within worlds of opportunities out there for us where they're looking for black women, professionals, black women, business owners, black women, thought leaders and thinkers, especially black women for the West, from the Western world. And they're, even though we're out here, we're still not represented in a way where, you know, I want them to be comfortable with the fact that we are who we are, because at this point, it's still a shock. So I was at lunch yesterday with my partner and the owner of the restaurant came to the table and was speaking to us. And he said, so what do you do? Where do you work? And I said, oh, I work for myself. And he said, oh, oh, okay. Because I know he expected me to say something else. But as I work for myself, I have a company, communications company, this and this and this and that. And he said, oh, wow. Like he was like genuinely shocked. And I think that as we continue to travel and explore Beyond Borders and show up with all the degrees and stuff that we have, because we're like leading the pack in the United States in terms of our educational pursuits. When we really go into the world and really show the world, I think what we have to offer, that'll, it'll start becoming more commonplace for, you know, people to look at us and know that we're valuable. We have something to contribute, so on and so forth. I think, but I think all of that starts with the very basic uh, type of wellness and, and, and health, healthy decisions that we're able to have access to. I mean, even like the quality of food, all of those little things contribute to like a better self and a better woman. I think that's been like the the basis and the pinnacle for me kind of living my best life over here. I'm just kind of taking it back to the basics, which is not something that I think we're able to do in America. Thank you so much, Victoria, for being such a wonderful guest. If you all want to keep up with Victoria, you can via social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle to and froze. So that's T-O-A-N-D-F-R-O-S. And I just kind of chronicle a little bit of the adventures that my daughter and I go on, just traveling and, and living life abroad and enjoying life. And you can also connect with me on my website. It's my professional website, but it's victoriachildress.com. And I do have an episode. We have an episode, my daughter and I on HGTV, House Hunters International, where I talk about my journey from uh, the United States to relocating to Italy as well. So you can watch us find a house (laughs) in Italy. Again, big thanks to Victoria and thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. If you'd like to learn more about Victoria, you can by going to her show notes page at the website flourishintheforeign.com. And if you'd like to support this podcast, you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash flourish foreign. 
Thank you all again for listening to this episode of Flourish in the Foreign. And thank you all so much for supporting this podcast. Your support and your love means so much to me. You can definitely pick up the Build a Business Abroad Guide. The Build a Business Abroad Guide has over 20 pages and it's really designed to help you get clear and confident, not only on your business idea, but really about the why, which is really important. You need to understand why you want to start this business. What are you expecting this business to do for you? And how do you want to run this business? How is it in alignment with the lifestyle that you want to live abroad? And so I also include a lot of really great considerations for you to go through before you decide to build a business abroad or take one abroad. You can grab the Build a Business Abroad guide via the link in the bio or at the website flourishintheforeign.com. And as always, big thanks to Zachary Higgs who produced the music of this here podcast. Thank you very much, Zach. And remember, it is not about moving abroad. And it surely isn't about just being abroad. It's about thriving abroad. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See y'all next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. As Americans, we value people doing it all, especially women. You know, we applaud when we see a woman, a single mom who's taking care of her kids, working a full-time job, has a side hustle, and, you know, maybe meal preps for the week. And I see that, and my reaction is sadness because I see that as somebody who's alone. And we shouldn't have to be alone. We're not set up for that. We are meant to live as communities.